I want to thank you for, for allowing me to speak to you this morning. And I also want to thank you for your investment in uh, children's and student ministries and in our schools. This is a church that, that believes in the next generation. And, uh, and that's, that's not common. Uh, it may seem like it should be, but uh, I really appreciate all that you do for children and for youth uh, and, and how that's expressed here at, at this church. This morning, I want to talk to you about student ministries a little bit, and uh, I've never really done that here before. Uh, usually, I, I speak on another passage, but I want to speak specifically about student ministry this morning and, and how we can all be a part of developing sticky faith in our young people. Developing sticky faith. Uh, when I first uh, volunteered here at Horizon in junior high ministry. We like to have a lot of fun in junior high ministry. We play some games because uh, when we have fun, kids are more receptive to hearing what you have to say. If they're not having fun, the switch goes off and, and they're not listening much anymore. Uh, fun is kind of the currency, especially in junior high. And so we were playing a game one Sunday morning uh, just to try to loosen everybody up and get everybody connected with each other. And uh, we split everybody up into two teams. And uh, each team got a roll of duct tape. You can see how this is already going to be a problem for junior hires. <laughs> duct tape and junior hires. Um, and, and so each team selected one person on their team, uh, the smallest person on their team, and they lifted that student up and pinned them to the wall and duct taped them to the wall. Now, this isn't like some sort of hazing ritual. Uh, the goal of the game was to see whose person could stay on the wall the longest. Um, it was a great game. It was a lot of fun. Uh, I, feel, I feel like I need to apologize, though, to our maintenance department after tearing up the walls with duct tape. Um, but uh, we sat there and we laughed for a while and, and watched uh, these two kids stuck to the wall. And, uh, and, and it was fun. And then it just kept going, like nobody fell off the wall. And, uh, and so we continued on with our service. We went into our worship time with two kids kind of duct taped up on the wall. Their hands were raised that morning because they were <laughs> duct taped up. Um, and, uh, and then delivered the message that, that morning uh, with students duct taped to the walls. Uh, one of them finally did fall off. Uh, the other one uh, would still be up there if we hadn't cut him down. Um, he stayed up the whole service. That's not what I mean when I'm talking about sticky faith. I'm not talking about duct taping your kids to the wall. Uh, we wouldn't do that to these nice walls here, um, and we wouldn't do that to your kids. Uh, that's not what I mean when I say sticky faith. What I mean is how do we develop in our young people a faith that sticks beyond high school into college and for the rest of their lives? How do we develop in children and students a lasting faith a vibrant faith in Jesus Christ. That's what I want to talk to you about this morning. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we thank you for this day that you've created. God, we thank you for our young people. Lord, we want to see them know you, discover the life that you have to give them. God, we want to see them follow you with their, their whole heart. So Lord, we commit this morning to learning how we can do that. We commit this morning, God, to giving our effort to seeing the next generation serve you and develop sticky faith in your name. Amen. Maybe you've heard this statistic. It's, it's often repeated that, uh, that people who accept Jesus Christ, people who choose to follow Jesus, 
uh, 85% of those who choose to do that do it before the age of 18. I'm curious to see if, that, uh, if that's true here. Would you raise your hand if you accepted Christ before you were 18? You chose to follow Jesus? Yeah, yeah. Looks like, looks like 85, 90% of you chose to follow Jesus before you were 18. So you understand the importance of beginning that faith journey uh, when, when students are young. It's, it's important that we reach them at this young age. I recently read a new report that gave me even more urgency about this. It says that 85% of those, 18 to 23, whoever made a commitment to God did so before the age of 14. We've got to reach young people. We've got to reach them. We've got to do it when they're kids, when they're students, because we might not get another chance. It is so important that we reach this next generation. That's why this church makes such a, such a significant uh, investment in young people. We have great children's ministries, student ministries, our schools here, all designed to reach these young people at this critical stage of their lives. But there's a troubling statistic that's been making its way through youth ministry circles the last few years. And it scares me uh, that this may be true. It says that 40 to 50% of all youth group graduates fail to stick with their faith or connect with a faith community after high school. Students are graduating from high school and graduating from their faith. If I brought the whole youth group up here, stood them all up in a line, I'm not going to, guys, I'm not going to ask you to do that. I don't want to stress them out. They're like, freak, don't call me up, please. Uh, but if I stood them up here and, uh, and I counted them off, one, two, one, two, one, two. Split them into two groups. One group would have a lasting faith in Jesus. The other group would turn away from Jesus after high school. That's what that statistic says. And that scares me to death because I've spent my life trying to reach these young people and to watch them leave their faith after high school is, is startling. After the investment we as a church make in them and you as a family make in them, to watch them turn their back on their faith after high school should startle us all, should cause us to do something about it. So we've been asking why this is happening. And there's a number of possible answers. One youth pastor and author named Chap Clark says this. He says that this generation is fragmented, abandoned, and alone. They have 500 friends on Facebook and nobody significant that they can talk to. They're on three different sports teams and still searching for their identity. They have more resources than 99% of the world's population, and yet they have less significant time with their families. They have access to more technology in their pockets than NASA had when we landed a man on the moon. And yet all of this stuff that's supposed to make life easier only adds to their feeling of fragmented, abandoned, and alone. It adds more noise to their lives. I believe that many young people in this generation do feel abandoned. They do feel like they're left to fend for themselves, left to discover their faith on their own, and all too often, the story we portray with our faith lacks the excitement, the adventure, the passion that Jesus came to give. 
So the question I have to answer, the question that we as a church and you as a family have to answer is how do we change this trend? How do we ensure that the next generation follows Jesus the rest of their lives? It's an issue that's not just for young people or their parents. It's not just for grandparents. It's not for those of you who have teenagers in your home right now or those who volunteer with teenagers or work with them. It's an issue for all of us as a church to take on. How do we keep young people sticking with their faith for the rest of their lives? I want to look at some possible solutions found in Deuteronomy chapter 6 that might help us as we look at how to make young people's faith a little bit more sticky. It's important to note that in chapter 5 of Deuteronomy, Moses has given the Ten Commandments to the people, and they've accepted them. They are thirsty to hear what God requires of them. And, uh, and so that's kind of the background going into chapter 6 of Deuteronomy. Moses is giving instructions to the people of Israel from God on how to follow God with, with their whole heart how to live in a way that pleases him and that honors him. In verse one, it says this, these are the commands, decrees, and regulations that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you. You must obey them in the land you are about to enter and occupy. And you and your children and grandchildren must fear the Lord your God as long as you live. If you obey all his decrees and commands, you will enjoy a long life. Listen closely, Israel, and be careful to obey. Then all will go well with you, and you will have many children in the land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, promised you. Listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone, and you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. And you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I am giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you are at home and when you are on the road, when you are going to bed and when you are getting up. Tie them to your hands and wear them on your foreheads as reminders. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. In this passage, there is a lot of instruction there. There's a lot of good things to soak up about how to live a life that honors God. It includes one of the most often recited passages in the Jewish faith called the Shema, found in verse 4, where it says, listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. The Shema sets the tone for this passage of Scripture. It drives home this one idea that God deserves first place in our lives, that God is the most important thing above all else. It's kind of the central passage of this passage of Scripture. Jesus reinforced it when he said in Matthew 22, verse 37, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the key for us to developing sticky faith. It's key for us personally that if we want to have a faith that sticks, that lasts, we've got to love God above everything else. It's the key for our young people as well. We've got to instill in them a love and a passion for God above all else. When we say as a church that Horizon Community Church exists to encourage people to follow Jesus with their whole heart, that's what we're talking about. This passage of Scripture, it's the greatest commandment. It's why we exist. It's our purpose here to love God. So it's easy to understand when we look at that passage that we kind of focus on that portion of Scripture. 
Love God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. But I also want to note that on four different occasions in these nine, pass- nine verses, four different occasions, Moses speaks about the next generation, about children, grandchildren, ancestors. Obedience to God, devotion to him, is not just a private commitment between me and him. It's not just a one-time prayer that I pray and then we're good, and I've got my get-out-of-hell-free card. That, that's not what, what this is about. Moses is instructing the people to live out their faith and to share it with the next generation. Our faith can't be inherited by our children. My, my grandmother uh, is a great example to me. She, uh, she pastored uh, during World War II in Southern California. And while my grandfather was away at war, she built churches in Southern California. Pretty rare for a woman to do. And during this time, she led the way, pastoring churches all over the San Fernando Valley. Great example to me, when I would stay at her house as a kid, she would wake up at five in the morning and begin praying. She wore a hole in the carpet next to her bed where she prayed for four hours every morning. It scared me hearing her praying because she's crying out to God. She had a relationship with God like nobody I've ever seen. It freaked me out to hear her talk to God sometimes. And yet that faith isn't transferable to me. I don't get into heaven because my grandma built some churches. I can't inherit my grandma's faith. I have to discover a faith of my own. Our children have to discover faith on their own. They have to build a relationship with Jesus that is all their own. It can't be caught through osmosis. It isn't just a ritual to be fulfilled on Sunday mornings. Something that we're responsible to instill in them, to teach them, to model them for them. There is no higher commitment or calling than to instill faith in Jesus Christ in the next generation. And I, I don't mean there's no greater job, because I, I think that's true. I, there's no greater job than working with young people. I love it. But not everybody's called to that. But everybody is called to instilling faith in Jesus in the next generation. There's no greater calling than that. There's no higher calling than that. Than the person who is right now sitting in a nursery, watching kids, teaching kids, pointing them toward Jesus. The small group leader that is up in kids' town, sharing prayer requests and praying with those kids and developing their faith. There's no higher calling than that. This exciting, adventurous faith that God has called us to, that Jesus came to give us, is available to our young people. And it's the greatest story they could ever join. One of the reasons cited by many uh, college students for why they left their faith is is that they, they found a better story. They found something better out there. To me, that doesn't speak about uh, life in Jesus. It speaks that maybe they didn't see faith modeled for them. That maybe they saw a dry, boring list of do's and don'ts, but they didn't see the active Jesus at work in our lives. I want to talk to parents for a moment this morning, and, and I do so very humbly and, uh, and very hesitantly, actually. It's, it's something I struggled with in praying about this all week. 
because I'm not a parent, and there's nothing I hate more than when somebody talks about something they know nothing about firsthand. It's the worst. I'm not up here today to tell you how to parent your kids, because I don't know anything about parenting. I honestly don't. And I think, I think you do a great job as I watch your kids. Uh, you've got some great kids. And, and so I wouldn't dare speak about how to parent. But what I have is, is uh, about 10 years or so of experience watching kids interact with their families, observing closely uh, the dynamic that's happening there. And it's from that perspective that I kind of want to talk to parents this morning. Parents, you are the greatest influence in your kid's life. Good or bad, you are the single greatest influence in their lives. And it may not feel that way, especially when they're teenagers. You feel like, like they're not listening, like you have no influence with them anymore. You're talking to your kid and they've got that glazed over zombie look, you know. And, and it may not feel like, like you are influencing them very much. But you are still the greatest influence in their lives. I hope that encourages you. Maybe it scares you a little bit. Oh, shoot, if I'm the greatest influence, what am I showing them? I want to encourage you that you can influence your kids. Look at it this way. A teenager here at Horizon will spend an average of 40 hours a year in youth group or youth group-related activities. 40 hours a year that, that I get to influence them, that our staff gets to influence them. They'll spend an average of 400 hours a year playing video games. That kind of discourages me a little bit. I get 40 hours, Halo gets 400. Call of Duty gets 400. How much influence can I have over their lives? But parents, you get an average of 3,000 hours a year to influence your kids. More than video games, more than television, more than the media, more than their friends, you get the most time to influence your kids. You have an opportunity to instill faith in the next generation. One of my heroes died a couple weeks ago. And uh, I, I love Steve Jobs. I, I think he's awesome. Uh, in fact, I, I debated wearing a black turtleneck and sneakers and jeans this morning just in honor. Uh, but I thought that might be taking the focus off of Jesus a little bit. But I grew up in Cupertino, uh, California. And uh, I went to the same junior high and the same high school that Steve Jobs graduated from. And so he was more of a legend than a man to me. Uh, when I worked at Apple, I would see him every day uh, pull up in his, his Mercedes right in front of the campus, get out and walk. And people avoided him as he walked because they were like, oh, fear and trembling. He, he was like a legend. It was, it was weird. And I, I admire what he's done and the impact he's made on the world through, through his ideas, through the technology that he helped create. Here's this wealthy man with tons of influence. And, uh, and as he was dying, he, uh, he gave an interview to a biographer. His biography comes out tomorrow. And uh, excerpts have been coming out from that. And, and one of them said that uh, this biographer sat down with him when he was too sick to get up the stairs to his bedroom, he was living in his living room and he was frail and it was clearly his, his last uh, weeks. And the biographer worked up the courage to ask him. He said, Steve, you're, you're such a private guy. Why now? Why tell your story now? Why uh, authorize a biography now? 
And Steve Jobs said this, he said, I wanted my kids to know me. I wasn't always there for them, and I wanted them to know why and to understand what I did. I, I find this profoundly sad. Here's this guy that has influence on the whole world. Many of us have products in our pockets right now that have the little Apple logo on them. Influence beyond anything that, uh, that I could hope for in my lifetime. And his own kids don't know him. What a missed opportunity. I think it's sad that he has to have a biography written so that his kids know who he is. Do your kids know you? Do your kids know about your faith? 80% of kids couldn't identify when their parents accepted Jesus or how they came to know Jesus. They've never heard the story. Do your kids know your faith? Do they know about why Jesus is important to you? When it comes to kids' faith, what I've observed is that kids, or I'm sorry, parents often get what they are. You get what you are. So, so your kids will most likely look like what you look like. If your faith is something that you wear around your neck and not something that you live, it's more than likely that your kids will carry that same brand of faith. If church is something you do on Sundays, but the rest of the week doesn't show up on the radar, your kids will most likely follow that example. It starts with you. So how's your relationship with Jesus? Start there and be real with your kids about your faith journey. Talk about the ups and downs that you're going through with them. Your kids don't need to know all the sordid details of your life. Your kids shouldn't be your therapist that you share everything with, okay? That's a bad idea. But your kids should know when you're struggling and when God's speaking to you about things, when God's challenging something. When, when, when you do something wrong, can you apologize for it and admit that you were wrong? Your kids should know that you're human and that you're working out your faith every day. It's important to developing sticky faith in our kids. I'll never forget the conversation I had with my dad. Uh, my, I worked at uh, Safeway from the time I was uh, 16 till about 19. And I bagged groceries from three uh, in the afternoon till midnight. And I didn't drive at the time. And so my dad would pick me up from work at midnight. Now, my dad worked uh, two jobs. He'd come home from work, take a shower, clean himself up, sit down with the newspaper, and oftentimes you'd hear the newspaper crinkling as his head bobbed, and he did this, like, <laughs> oh, and he snored and, like, woke himself up. He worked hard all the time. He was exhausted. And yet at midnight, he would come and pick me up from work, usually after taking a short nap. Most of those nights were just plain average nights. He, he didn't really want to be out of the house. Um, he, he wasn't real talkative. He was kind of sleepy. But every so often, we got to have a conversation at midnight in the car. And this one particular night, I got in the car to go home. My dad had just gotten home from a men's retreat with the church. And when I got in the car, we didn't leave the parking lot for at least 20 minutes. As my dad shared with me all the things he heard over the weekend, all the things God had been speaking to him about, all the things God had been challenging him with, he, his eyes were filled with tears as he shared some of the struggles he had been going through. And he prayed for me 
about some of those same things. It was a significant moment with my dad in a very unexpected place in the parking lot at Safeway at midnight. It wasn't a time that he set aside to have some lecture with me, but just a moment that we shared together. And his vulnerability, his transparency that night didn't make me think any less of him. His struggles that he was having with God didn't make me think any less of him. Instead, I was assured that he was growing in his faith just like I was. I would argue that my dad is one of the greatest impacts on my faith of anybody in my life. My mom and my dad have had the most significant impact on my faith. It starts with committing yourself wholeheartedly to following God. Deuteronomy 6 verse 6 says, And you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands I am giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you are on the road or when you are at home and when you are on the road, when you are going to bed and when you are getting up. Commit yourself to following Jesus wholeheartedly. Then begin repeating scripture to your kids. Begin teaching them what you're going through. Share your faith journey with them. If your kids are going to have a faith that sticks, you are going to be the number one influence. And you don't have to be, uh, graduate from seminary or have a degree in theology to share Jesus with them. My dad was a custodian and a landscaper and yet had the most impact on my life. On your way to soccer practice, around the dinner table, while you're watching TV, after the football game, these are the moments where you have a chance to connect with your kids, to share Jesus with them. Take time to stop and pray with them, to share what you're learning, and to share your story with them. Those are significant moments that will help your kids develop a lasting faith in Jesus. Our kids' lives are busier than ever. And though there's value in athletics and academics and in music, is the ultimate goal to get a scholar, uh, an athletic scholarship? Is the ultimate goal to get into the school of their choice or to have a great career with a six-figure salary? I would guess that if I talk to most parents here, more than any of those things, you would hope that your kids have a lasting faith in Jesus. That that would be the most important thing. So let's take the time to spend in those areas, developing their faith. Let's elevate faith in Jesus in our homes, in the car, at the game, wherever you're at, on the road and at home, sharing Jesus, talking about what he's doing in our lives. I don't mean to say that you have to choose sports or, or Jesus or school and Jesus. You can have that. Your kids can get into the great schools. Your kids can do amazing things. That, I wouldn't suggest that you have to do one or the other. But how are your priorities at home? Is sports more important than your kid's faith? Probably not. But sometimes we adjust our schedules that way. Find time to invite Jesus into the daily rhythms of your life. One parent I know spends time with their kids every day talking about the highs and the lows of their day. What was the best thing that happened to you today? What was the worst thing that happened to you today? 
It's a simple little thing that they do all the time just to keep the conversation going about things that matter. Sometimes that happens in the car on their way someplace. Sometimes it happens around the dinner table, sometimes before they go to bed at night. But they make a point every day of sharing the highs and the lows of the day. And mom and dad share their highs and lows also. And together they're growing in their faith. They're sharing what's going on in their lives. They stop and they pray about those things. They commit them to God. This week I was reading in a book and this quote stuck with me. It says, A hundred years from now, your great-grandchildren probably won't even know your name. No one will care about what awards you won or how much money you made. The only thing that will matter is what kind of children you left behind and their influence on subsequent generations. I read that and, and it, it hit me between the eyes. That statement that a uh, hundred years from now, your great-grandchildren probably won't remember your name. I couldn't tell you the first names of my great-grandparents. My great-grandma died uh, the year I was born, so I never knew her. But the influence that, that they can leave, that you can leave behind, is in a vibrant and active faith in your kids. I read that quote, and it stuck with me, and then I saw who wrote it. <laughs> Jeff Foxworthy, the redneck guy? Like, he can have a deep thought? I... Turns out he loves the Lord and cares about kids, and, and it's actually kind of a cool thing. Uh, but I had no idea, and, and so it resonated even more with me that, uh, man, if God can speak that kind of thing through Jeff Foxworthy, maybe he can use me too. <laughs> Proverbs 22, verse 6 says, Direct your children onto the right path, and when they are older, they will not leave it. Parents, you're the greatest influence on your kids. Direct them to the right path. Direct them toward God. Use those little moments all throughout the day. Be intentional about developing faith in your kids at home and on the road. Now, for, for all of us, parents or otherwise, you might be here and you're a college student or you're single and you don't have kids. Wherever you're at in life, maybe you're like me and married but don't have kids, empty nesters, wherever you're at, all of us can commit to seeing this next generation follow Jesus with their whole hearts. It's true that parents are the greatest influence in their kids' lives. But as they move into adolescence, it becomes apparent that we need a wider circle influencing them. They need to hear outside voices in their lives. Mom and dad's voice is good, and they're hearing you, but oftentimes they need to hear it from somebody else. I'm amazed, I hear from parents every so often that they've been telling their kids something for 12 years, the same thing, over and over for 12 years, and then I say the exact same thing, and the light bulb goes on. Now, I don't have any superpowers, I don't have the ability to like know exactly what they need, I mean, the Lord sometimes speaks that way, but most of the time, I'm just saying the things that, that parents are already saying, and yet for some reason it resonates. That's the outside voice that that your kids need to hear. And I know that can be frustrating sometimes. Like, I've been telling you that and you won't listen to me. But we, we need, they need outside voices in their lives. They need to hear it from others. As, as they grow into adolescence, they're looking for what they believe on their own. That mom and dad's faith, their beliefs, their instructions are good, but do I believe those same things? 
And when they hear from somebody that they respect, somebody that, that they look up to, somebody that has influence in their lives, it can resonate with them in a way that's different than when they hear that from mom and dad. Sticky faith requires a wider circle of influence in our kids' lives. God designed each of us to connect with others, to need others, and our kids are no different. They need these people in their lives. I've been sharing with our students about their need to be connected, need to have a, adults in their lives, and, and that, uh, that they are more likely to stick with their faith if they have five caring adults making an influence in their lives. And I asked students to name their five, and almost every single one of them could immediately list parents, teachers, coaches, people, family friends that have influence in their lives. I would ask you this morning, would you consider yourself one of the five influencers in a young per person's life? Maybe your own kid, maybe a friend of your kid. Are you an influencer? We need you. Pat Spencer was my Sunday school teacher from the time I was nine until I was 12. He volunteered every Sunday to teach my Sunday school class. He came every week prepared with a lesson and an activity for us. And uh, he had six rambunctious boys in his class. And we must have given him a run for his money because this man, he, he, but he was faithful every week. Soft-spoken. On the outside, you wouldn't look at him and go, oh, he's a teacher. He was just a quiet guy that gave his time on Sundays to teach boys. Pat really liked uh, airplanes and uh, and space shuttle, the whole, the whole thing. He would take us to air shows and bring in pictures. He, he liked photography and he'd take pictures of these jets and bring them in and somehow work them into a, a lesson about faith. In 1986, I was in third grade and we were studying the space shuttle and we were studying space. The Challenger uh, was going to take off with a teacher on board and so we were studying that whole deal and it, and it was cool. I was fascinated with the whole deal. And in January of 1986, my class gathered around a television to watch the Challenger take off. And after a minute of flight, it exploded. And I was devastated. I, I was confused. I didn't understand. I was upset. Many of my friends in class were crying because we had studied. We knew all the names of the astronauts. We, we had been spending a lot of time on this. And they all just died right in front of us. It was very traumatic for me, probably more so than the rest of my class. Uh, the rest of my class immediately went to recess. They, they rang the bell and got everybody out playing to kind of take their minds off of it. I, however, could not be consoled. I crawled under my desk and sat under my desk and cried and nobody could get me out from under my desk. <laughs> kind of an embarrassing moment. They had to call my mom who came from work and talked me out from under the desk. It was very traumatic for me. My mom, though, went to my Sunday school teacher, who she knew had a voice in my life. And she explained kind of what had happened. And Pat began going to work on my behalf. Pat planned a trip for me and his daughter and him to go to Edwards Air Force Base to watch the next shuttle land safely uh, 18 months after the Challenger exploded. And that moment was kind of redemption for me to see, you know, all the, all, everything that had gone up in smoke, all the devastation, and then to see it come safely to the ground. 
And Pat made that possible. Here's a guy who had no reason to invest in me. He had no obligation. He wasn't paid to. He wasn't a family member. And yet because of him, I knew Jesus a little bit more. He was a significant voice in my life. Church, we need to build bridges to the next generation. They need to hear from you. They need to know your experiences. They need to see your faith active in their lives. I believe Horizon does a great job with children's ministries and student ministries, with our school reaching young people. But we need more than age-appropriate ministries to reach these, these kids. If we're going to make an impact on the next generation, it has to extend beyond our classrooms, beyond the walls of this church building into our homes, out onto the sports fields. We need your influence in their lives on a regular basis. They need to know that there are adults who care about them, not because they're paid to, but because they feel called to. See, the covert context of Deuteronomy chapter 6 is that Moses is speaking to the whole nation of Israel. He's not just speaking to parents or grandparents about how to parent their kids. He's talking to the people of God about how to pass faith on to the next generation. That's all of us. It, it takes more than just a family to influence a, a child for Christ. They need all of us. This summer, we remodeled room 211 upstairs changed it from the kids' town factory to the garage, and now it shares uh, children's ministry in the morning and youth ministry on Sunday nights. And uh, we had a great team that helped us do it. Pastor Jenny had this brilliant idea. She said, hey, why don't you ask Pastor John if he would help you, uh, help us with this, this room remodel. And so I called Pastor John and asked him if he would give us a hand, and the brilliant thing about it was that Pastor John has all the tools, I don't have any tools, and what's worse is I don't even know how to use tools. I, I'm just, I'm an idiot when it comes to handy stuff. And so here I was tasked with remodeling this room and no skills to do it, and Pastor John agreed that he would come and help. And not only did he help, but he recruited some of his friends to come and help us. We had this crew of retired guys and professionals that came in and just transformed that room in a 10-day in a period. The best part of that whole experience was working alongside these, these men who showed me how to use tools, who showed me the right way to do things, and who spent time with the young people that were there mentoring them. And, and, and they were just doing life together, working side by side. And there was this cool dynamic as, as a grandfatherly figure is working with a teenager, and they're doing stuff together and laughing together. What if that was part of our daily rhythm, that an empty nester would show up at a kid's soccer game just because they cared, just to say that I'm interested. What if we could make a difference in the lives of the next generation on a regular basis? Can you imagine the difference it would make? What if you learned the names of a few kids, a few teenagers that go to our church here, and you greeted them by name when you saw them? You may not think that's a big deal, but kids want to be known. And when you learn who they are, it means something to them. Next week, we're going to try something different in church. We're going to try it for a, for a time here and, and see what happens. But we're going to have kids in the service with us. Kids Town is going to start out in here on Sunday mornings. And they're going to worship with us. 
And uh, we just think that it's an important way for them to see what the rest of the body of Christ is like, to learn from their families what worship's all about, to connect to the larger body of Christ. So we're going to try this for a while, and, and it may be a little disruptive. There, there may be kids squirming and wiggling and making noise around you. I want to encourage you to not see that as a distraction or an annoyance, but to see that as an opportunity to bring along the next generation. It may not work. I don't know. It, something that we're trying. It may be a disaster. We may go, you know, let's not try that again. There's a reason we're not doing that. But I love that our church is willing to try to reach this next generation, to do things differently. We want to model faith for our young people. Learn their names. Would you next week make a point to greet a few kids that are coming in here, making them feel welcome? It's so important to developing sticky faith in our young people that they have adults in their lives that care about them. If we're going to see the next generation keep the faith and pursue this great adventure that God's called us to, we have to continue to invest in their lives. I want to give you a little practical thing. In, in your bulletins, there's an insert. And uh, it, it says, cookies for college students. We have a lot of college students that are away at school right now. Um, some of them have, have connected with a church. Um, some of them haven't. Um, but all of them are disconnected from family and, and from home and from friends. Um, and so we, we, this is just a short list. This isn't everybody, um, but we contacted through Facebook as many as we could. And, uh, and I want to ask you to do something. I want to ask you, if you would, send them a note. Let them know that you are praying for them and actually pray for them. Maybe there's a passage of scripture that the Lord lays on your heart that you could share with them to encourage them. But would you just write them a little note this week? Maybe send some cookies to these college students, maybe a care package. You don't have to know them. Maybe you look at the list and you see a couple that you know and you want to take those on. But even if you don't know them, maybe just write them something and just say, hey, you don't know me, but I'm from Horizon and I was praying for you this week. Let them know that there's a community that's supporting them, that they are connected to, that they're not alone, that they're not abandoned out there trying to find, figure this out on their own. Our young people need to hear from you. They need to know that you care. They need you to be that wider influence in their lives. Looking at all this research, at all of the statistics that say that students leave the faith after high school, it can be really discouraging. But I'm encouraged by the words of Deuteronomy 6 and the instruction that Moses gives us. I'm encouraged by a church that believes in young people. I'm encouraged that we can change this trend.